0: a vital part of the job for anyone listening in the financial industry or anything if you're uh, if you're looking to build a business it's always prospecting
1: from the cubicle to the lab the studio to the war room climbing the corporate ladder or joining a scrappy startup experience a day in the life of the jobs you want this is the experience a day in the life podcast Welcome to part one in the two-part planning financial future series. In this episode, we're going to experience a day in the life, hour by hour, of Sam Syed, a financial advisor at Northwestern Mutual, so you can decide if this is a career you can see yourself doing. If you want to get into a more people-facing role in finance, this may be the career for you. Let's get right into the day.
2: It's a Wednesday morning at 4.50 a.m. in New York City, and Sam's alarm is going off. He's up by 5 a.m. to head to the gym, and by 6.30, he's out the door to attend his weekly networking group by 7 a.m. After that, Sam's got quite the day ahead of him, fielding underwriter requests, reaching out to prospective clients, and meeting with multiple current clients. Before we jump into the day, let's meet Sam and learn more about what he does.
1: So Sam is a financial advisor for Northwestern Mutual, which means he's basically a planning partner for his clients to help achieve their long-term financial goals. And the company does this through insurance and or investment solutions. There's many different types of plans and solutions Northwestern Mutual offers, like life insurance, disability, long-term care, and annuities, which we'll get more into later on in this episode. But in order to help his clients, he follows a four-step process
0: four-step approach is basically meeting uh, someone from scratch and finding out where they are in their life, Um, what their needs might be, uh, if they have any financial debt, if they have any student loans, anything in between and basically finding a solution in which we can help them. Um, Stage two is basically sitting down with them and actually going through a financial plan and within that plan we can bridge the gaps in between what they where they think they are Mm -hmm. and how likely they are to achieve that goal and um, ask them loads of questions, as many questions as we can. And the more questions they answer, the more we can ascertain how we can help them and what we can put in place for them. Mm -hmm. Um, Stage three is actually coming back with a financial plan for, for our clients and basically saying, this is what you said This is where you are. And if there's any gaps in between that, this is what we can do to fulfill those gaps. And stage four is them taking action on that plan and then reviewing that plan on a regular basis as they get older, as they start to perhaps have families, if that's what they're looking for, if they're buying property or anything like that and we review that plan on an ongoing basis. So we try to simplify it in four, four stages, but it's all designed to help them build their plan.
2: Back to the day. It's now 7 a.m. and Sam is meeting with his weekly BNI group. BNI stands for Business Network International. The idea behind joining a BNI chapter is to network with people outside of your industry to generate leads, pass referrals, and grow your business.
0: We meet at seven o'clock. 6:45 as we meant to meet but, You know, 6:45 to 7, and the meeting starts sharply at 7:15. And basically, everyone that attends a BNI meeting will have, depending on the meeting, reasonable size meeting, 45 seconds to 60 seconds to all stand up in front of usually 25 to 50 people, and who's in the room, and say something about yourself, what you do, who you work for. We call it an ask, Mm. A-S-K, It's an ask. And that ask is basically something you're looking for, someone you want to meet, an industry you want to be connected to, anything like that. And everyone has that time to stand up when everyone's listening to that. And then one person a week will have 10 minutes to do a presentation. And then once that goes round, we have this part of the meeting where we all stand up. And the main part of the meeting is, is the passing of referrals and testimonials it's extremely important to get about and just meet new people regardless of what you're doing it doesn't matter if you're in the financial industry or not you know it's just good to meet people make friends get invited to that that barbecue party or that beach party or whatever it might be
1: could you give some networking tips to the listeners who've never really done this before don't really know how to start a conversation that's meaningful or at least keep a conversation that's meaningful
0: yes so the biggest tip <laughs> First of all, I'm going to say you something which you probably didn't know, and I'm not joking. <laughs> I get nervous in networking events. Can you believe it? Oh, I, I, I get.
1: You don't like it. Well, the reason why I say <laughs> is
0: because, like, you know, like the president, the chat stuff, but I actually do get nervous. And, but after speaking to one or two people, it's mm-hmm. always meeting some fantastic people. Some of the best people I've ever met in my life have came through networking. And I think, look, if, 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 you're looking for a conversation starter. It should really just be, "Hi, my name's Sam. Like, what do you do?" or something like that. And just listen to them, and just listen, and ask them questions, and just show show them that you 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 know you you care, and you and you want to talk to them. And very rarely do I tell them what I do. I'm sharing that one with you because someone taught me that, and it's been a kind of networking code for years. Mm. Because there's a lot of people that will walk around and say hi, my name is Sam. I'm a financial advisor. And then you kind of give them a business card and then move on to the next person. They're Mm -hmm. like, who the heck was that? You know? (laughs) So just, just, just have a, have have a comment, think of something. If they've got a good suit, say that's a beautiful suit or that's lovely dress or, you know, like, Oh, how are you? Whereabouts do you live in in, in the city? You in the city? Are you outside the city? Anything that's a conversation starter and not everyone's going to be you know, receptive or talking to you. But guess what? Everyone's in the same boat as you. My biggest tip, and I'll, you know, I'll say this for those that have got, you know, you, you, you're there, you're, your first networking event, and it's a big open space, and there's food and there's drink. So you grab a little bit of food, you grab a bit of drink, and then you just sit in the corner and you look at your emails. And I'll say that is something I've done multiple times in the past. And if I can go back in time, I would not have done that. So please just turn your phone off or put it in your pocket and then just focus on meeting people. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I'll say is I've adapted, I've, I've grown to, to really just have three main meaningful conversations and everything else is a bonus as opposed to running around frantically trying to meet everyone. You're, from what I've experienced is, is, is meeting three awesome people. You can build that relationship and then there's always going to be other networking events.
1: At 8.30, the meeting is over and the members participate in open networking while indulging in what's left of breakfast. While that's going on, Sam has a committee meeting among chapter leadership to discuss logistics and feedback. Straight after I, Sam gets to the office to start the day. First things first, Sam's going through underwriter request emails, client documents, that kind of fun stuff.
0: It's stuff that accumulated the night before <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, i want to make sure that my inbox is always clean because some of these emails are extremely important and i need to make sure that i i action them immediately but you know the underwriting request emails are if you know if someone's been accepted some insurance then they might still need outstanding documents uh, from that client so i'll kind of go through all that kind of stuff and then um, speak to clients
2: Can you explain what an underwriter is and kind of what the relationship between you and the underwriting team? No,
0: no. Yeah. So an underwriter is basically the person that will be viewing Mm -hmm. the insurance case that I put down in front of them. So, you know, you have Jack Sparrow, right? (laughs) He's uh, a well-known guy. Very risky. Very risky. (laughs) Drinks a bit of rum. And I put Jack Sparrow to the table, and they might turn around and say, "All right, we've re- reviewed Jack Sparrow's case. I think he drinks a little bit too much alcohol, so we're not going to give him the best rating. We might give him X rating instead."
1: And what are um, the factors that go into this rating, as hell? Oh, there's so much.
0: We go for a, a vigorous me- medical. Uh, well, the medical's not vigorous. I mean, it's it's a it's a blood test and. Uh, a urine sample, but depending on the complication of the the case, how big it is, they might have extra requirements that you need to do, and then it goes into a laboratory, and the results all come out and I can't see that stuff that's confidential, but the information will go to the underwriter, which is strictly confidential, and the underwriter will either accept the case, rate the case, which is change the premiere rating that i give every client um unless there's something that sticks out or decline the case and if the case is declined they don't tell me the reason why it's declined unless Mm -hmm. the client tells me so they say this case has been declined due to confidential information and and that's it so you know it's it's i wouldn't say it's a common case but you know not not everyone's accepted and that's that's the hardest part of the job because i love helping everyone and someone's declined i then try to help them through another provider a vital part of the job. And for anyone listening <laughs> in the financial industry or anything, if you're looking to build a business, it's always prospecting. And once again, my, my advice would be just to, to, to do it. Um, you know, the people, the amount of people I've called out of the blue that were recommended to me from a long distant relative or a friend of a friend of a friend. You'd be surprised the amount of those people have. Uh, first of all, were excited to hear the call. Not everyone are, but also who have managed to really help in a big way.
1: If your calls don't end well, like they don't want any financial advice or anything like that, do you have a structured follow-up strategy? Do you ever reach back out? And when do you, when don't you?
0: So I think everyone's different on this one. For me, if, if someone's not interested, then I, I would ask them. I'll say, look, can I call you in three months? And if they say, you know what, Sam, I'm really not interested. I'll, I'll call it a day there and gotcha. then. And we do have a system in place. If someone turns around and says, don't ever call me again, we have a do not call list. And that's <laughs> right, a serious thing. Yeah. We're on the do not call list. That's it. You know, we, we, we can't call that. Um, Prospects again. So, we do really respect people's decisions on the phone, but we do have a a follow up strategy. We do have a a very good CRM. And with that CRM, we can basically log who we're speaking to, note when they want to be called back.
2: By the way, when Sam is making these calls to prospective clients, it's never a cold call. He's built a business up through referrals. It's 11 a.m., and Sam hops on the subway for his 12 p.m. meeting in Prospect Park in Brooklyn.
0: The train is my preferred method of travel in manhattan as it's usually faster i'm straight down the four and five train it's the green line in manhattan and i head to my meeting on the train i i tend to read my preferred newspaper which is the financial times i tend to read when i'm traveling to avoid me just scrolling it takes more of my energy my mental energy than than anything else you kind of realize that so much time has gone by So I arrived at this meeting 13 minutes early. It's always good to arrive early. So this meeting is for Jack Peterson. He's the founder of a large institutional non-for-profit. He's uh, 70 years old. He's looking for a contingency succession plan for the day he's sadly no longer around. Jack is the the main fundraiser for his non-for-profit. And if he's not around one day, then that charity could suffer. So... What you have here is a, is a case which could sound like a simple insurance plan, but the situation here is more complex. He has a few health issues. He has uh, a few concerns on international traveling, to, to name a few. And after an in-depth conversation during lunch and discussing his needs, I, I see that I've got the information I need to, to go through the underwriter and uh, to see if there's a chance for pre-approval for life insurance. Now, the reason why this one's a pre-approval, and we obviously can't go through all the terms today, is because during this interview, they found out that he's actually had a number of declines from mm. providers, but he has had one approval. So there's the, the kind of golden nugget, right? So I'm now going to go back to my underwriter, and I'm going to show the case to the underwriter and say he has had a few declines, but however, he has had an approval. And let's see what we can do for that client yeah i'm happy to say we we managed so to, to help affect you them. like
1: a credit score does
0: uh, no, <laughs> no actually uh, it doesn't i mean um I, I guess to a certain extent yes for a couple of years or sometimes it's five like years. like reputationally I it, guess. It's, it's all medical so mm-hmm. uh sometimes they might rate a case for a couple of years or decline a case and say come back in two years and do another medical and we want to see this this and this done so in that sense it's oh. like a credit rating <laughs>
2: You usually travel to see your clients in person, or is it mostly over the phone? I mean going down to Brooklyn sometimes in the middle of the day can get uh, pretty tiring so
0: it can I, I travel I, I, I would always travel okay. if the client needs me to travel. I sometimes have days which you're, you're here, and this specific day, the rest of the meetings were in, in my office. If I need to travel, I mean logistically sometimes it doesn't make sense, but I have been known to go downtown back up and then downtown again and then back up. If if it's getting the job done and I'm meeting my clients, then it's, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do that.
1: Sam says 95% of his meetings with clients are face to face, which makes sense. But he said he might cut back on that when he starts taking on clients from different states. He's registered to work with clients in New York, New Jersey, D.C., Florida, Texas and California, just to name a few. By the way, to be a semi-national financial planner requires separate testing and registration fees per state. Those fees could range from $100 to almost $300, something to keep in mind.
0: It's now 1.30. I'm heading back to the office. So there you go, straight down to Brooklyn, which has taken a fair bit and then straight back up again for a 2.30 meeting with Barry and Jennifer. They're a married young couple, both of age 28, and who are uh, planning to have children. They have no savings, investments, or insurance, but they're eager to, to get started. And I love that, right? It doesn't really matter where you are in life. If you're eager to do something, then you are halfway there. You know, if you haven't got a job, you're eager to get that job when you have a job interview, you're halfway there. You know, it's that it's that part. So I get excited when people are eager. So after going through the fact finder process uh to ascertain where they want to be, we, we spoke about this uh, earlier in the four-stage process, where they want to be and what they need to achieve that goal. We wrap up the meeting, arrange a date early next week to meet again and put a plan in place. This meeting went very well. They both felt less anxious following the the process and knowing that they had a plan ahead of them. And they, they also recommended six other couples
2: Three thirty rolls around, and Sam is on his way to a one-to-one meeting he's having with a fellow BNI chapter member. These one-to-one meetings are meant to build deeper connections, pass referrals, and add value to each other.
0: At four thirty, I have another client meeting. Uh, these are all in the office. This is a forty-nine-year-old married couple, and their children are finishing college. And after the large outlay in university fees, they basically want to focus on their retirement and making sure that they have enough to comfortably live.
1: It's 530. He's met with all of his clients for the day and all that's left is to go through any outstanding tasks and catch up on some emails. Now's a good time to talk about the different offerings Sam can provide his clients to achieve their long term financial goals. We mentioned it a little bit earlier at the start of the day, but Sam's going to teach us about life insurance, disability insurance, long term care and annuities.
0: Well, the idea is not to make my 18-year-old listeners fall asleep, but uh, (laughs) I'll try my best. So anything from savings to investments is the basic stuff. You don't need to have a lot of money to start saving Uh, it's all about saving right from the beginning if you've only got ten dollars a week to save or a month to save and that's fine just starting with that would help you getting into the habit of saving on a regular basis stuff like insurances life insurance might sound obvious there's two types of life insurances there's term policies which as the name suggests only last for a certain amount of time and there's whole life or permanent life insurance, which, as it says, in the tin with permanent is, is forever. And that always also has a savings component in it. There's disability insurance, which will cover you, God forbid, if you become disabled and you could not perform your day-to-day role. And that usually pays tax-free on a monthly basis up to a certain Age And you can select that age, but it usually caps at 70 uh, with Northwestern Mutual. Long-term care is basically disability again, but for older clients and those clients, if they can't perform basic needs, day-to-day needs like eating, uh, sleeping, uh, toileting and and so forth. And usually associate long-term care with things like, sadly, things like dementia, which is becoming Alzheimer's, things like that which uh, sadly, as people live longer, there's a trade-off and people become mentally ill at a later stage in their life. So long-term care is looking after the elderly. And annuities is basically something you save towards, almost like a savings plan, but at a later stage, you'll pay a certain amount of money for a certain amount of time. And I know it sounds vague, but there's many different types of annuities. Basically, it's linked to retirement and you can select whichever annuity you're looking for to fit your role.
2: I mean, you're meeting all in one day, a 70-year-old, 49-year-old, 26-year-old. How do you prepare yourself? How do you get yourself in different mindsets to talk to so many different people in so many different walks of life, so
0: many stages of life? My youngest client's six months old, and uh, she can He can't speak to me, but uh, the mom put a plan in place. And, and the oldest client is seventy. So this is definitely a, a longer term skill that I, that I got, and that was basically from joining clubs in London. So whether it's a social club, if you like racket, like uh, tennis, you can join a, a racket club or a gym club. Whatever that club might be, it's a great place to integrate with people from all different ages and all different walks of life. So that was my secret key to success in that sense. So that's one aspect, and then don't want to uh, go too heavy on it, but you know that's another indirect way of saying networking yeah. as well. Because you know I see, I say these these clubs where you know you you have a common grounds with everyone. That's the key. It's the common grounds mm-hmm. between you and someone else of a different age. They're both a member of that club. Now if you. If money's tight or whatever it is, you haven't got the commitment to join a club, then still networking can do the same objective because you're both there to network. Whether it's just in someone's lounge or whether it's in an upmarket thing or a free rooftop event, whatever it might be, you're going to be bumping into people from all different ages. And speak to them. Those people are great to speak to. You know, they're <laughs> fantastic. Being around the block and they can give you some good tips.
2: After he's all caught up, it's 6 p.m. and Sam heads out of the office to attend an art show and a client's gala.
0: Basically, the morning, which you saw me do in the morning, mm-hmm. I'm basically doing again. But I do obviously go for emails whenever I can in between client meetings. In they stack up. <laughs> So that was a good day. It was a good day. I had some some really good meetings. And I also got a one-to-one with good old Stephen Weiss. So fantastic day. Now, I I then head to an art show at the Lower East Side. Lots of art. You can choose your thing. Mine's I love art. Just love admiring art. And it's a nice time to to escape. And then you might just bump into a few people there. So I'll go there for an hour. And around 7.30, I'll go to a client invitation for a charity gala. And I always love going to those. At ten thirty I'm heading back home. Gotta be asleep by 11, eleven, eleven thirty, because tomorrow it all starts again. Uh, Four fifty so. in the morning. 4. 50. <laughs> Four fifty in the morning. If I can get five and a half hours sleep, I'm a happy man. <laughs>
1: So you just experienced a day in the life of a financial advisor, but how does one actually become a financial advisor? In part two of the Planning Financial Features series, join us as we go through Sam Syed's career journey and experiences leading up to where he is today. He got his foot in the door after university with a stockbroker apprenticeship, eventually moved to Dubai, took an opportunity to work in NYC, only to go under forced unemployment. Let's learn how Sam persevered. Stay tuned.
2: At Experience a Day in the Life, we're building an online library of content all focused on a diddle or a day in the life of different jobs and professions across the world in all different industries. So if you want to share your a diddle, you can do so at xadiddle.com slash share dash my dash a diddle. That's xaditl.com slash share dash my dash a diddle.
1: Thanks for listening. Head over to xadiddle.com. That's xaditl.com. There you can find the show notes for this series and more A Day in the Life articles. And you can get to know us and our guests more by joining our communities on social media. Follow at xadiddle on Instagram and on LinkedIn by searching for Krista Bo and Matt with one T Poe.
2: If you learned something in this episode, please take some time to help our mission by leaving a positive rating and review of the show. Each week, we bring you a new interview series with guests from different jobs and different industries. In each series, we'll live a specific day in the life, hour by hour, and experience their career journey. So don't forget to subscribe.